please turn with me to Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and we will be reading verses 1 to verse 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart, And put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Father, what a joy it is to be gathered with your people, to worship you, to pray to you, to read your word, be taught in your word. And Lord, these are your words. They are not mine. I pray, God, that you might use your word this morning to teach us, to instruct us, to increase our joy in the Lord. Lord, I have no, nothing of value to say. What I have to say comes from your word. Help us to heed your word, to trust in your word. And we pray that you would cause your words to bear fruit in our lives. And that our time, the remainder of our time together, may continue to bring honor and glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, the book began by talking about the repetitive cycle of life. The book has talked to us about the risks that there is in living. It forces us to consider things that we might not necessarily want to consider on our own, such as the reality of death and how death 
makes life seem so impermanent and so fleeting. For the past couple of weeks, the, the book has been giving to us some, some proverbs. And it continues sort of in this theme. And now it causes us to consider our lives lived with a degree of uncertainty. And certainly you've felt this way before, perhaps when you've made a decision or have pursued some kind of course of action, it sometimes feels like a trust fall. You're sort of hoping that there's someone behind you to catch you as you're falling. Sometimes life feels much more, or your decisions make you feel much more drastic than that. Sometimes it feels like you're sort of diving off a cliff and you're hoping that there's something at the bottom to catch you. Because you don't know all the answers, you don't know what to predict, you don't have all the information. So life, oftentimes, is about taking risks. So as the book continues to give us several different proverbs, it now asks us to consider living the good life with a degree of uncertainty. And it leaves us with several principles to consider. So first, consider principles for the wise. And the first principle that's given to us in this passage is to be generous. Verse 1, again, says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Bread is something that represents life, sustenance. Bread is something that we work hard to get. And yet the principle here, the proverb here, is to cast it upon the waters of uncertainty, the waters of the ocean, and trust that your bread will come back to you. Right? It seems kind of illogical. Why would we cast that which we work so hard to earn, whether it's bread or whether it is money, to cast it into something that is uncertain? that doesn't give us this 100% guarantee that it will be returned to us. Or to take it another way, why take our hard-earned portion and give it to others? Especially we consider sort of the days that we're living in today. Inflation is high. Food prices only get more expensive for many, job security is uncertain. The dollar is worth less than it used to be. So the general idea, the general reaction is we need to save. Save, save, save because of, the, of so much uncertainty. We need to save because we don't know what to expect. And certainly that is sound advice. Certainly there is a measure of wisdom when you expect that things you may not go the way that you expect to try to save so you have some kind of cushion to lean on in case things don't go the way that you expect. However, when it comes to money, for many Christians, money tends to impede their godliness. How so? Well, here's one particular way, one way in which godliness can impede or money can impede the godliness of a Christian, is that when they have the means to do so, and an opportunity is presented to be able to give to another person, instead, 
you might look for excuses to not give. Because there will always be reasons to not give. Well, yes, inflation is high. Or I don't know what my job will look like a year from now. Or I'm not really sure if I can trust that this person will use the money well, so it's probably better to not give. And instead just hold on to it. You can tell a lot about a person based on their spending habits. You can tell a lot about a person by just looking at their budget. This became very clear to me several years ago when my wife and I were getting ready to move to Kentucky for me to go to seminary. And at that point, we had yet to secure any jobs despite our efforts. and had saved up some amount of money, and there was some friends of ours who actually gave us several hundred dollars as we sort of made our transition over to Kentucky. And we came to find out later that, that this couple actually have a line item in their budget for giving, that every single month they put away a certain amount for special needs. When they come across a need, whether it is in the body of Christ or somebody that they know, they withdraw that entire account and, or however much they decide, and they give it because they have budgeted it, and this is what it is for. And so in their budget, you can tell that one of the things that they prize or they value is being able to give to others. In Proverbs 19.17, it says to us, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Now, the Proverbs are general principles, meaning that they're not promises, they're not guaranteed 100% of the time, but it is a principle, meaning that God can and does fulfill the general principle that is found in the proverb. That to some degree, we can expect that this is the case. And the proverb is, be generous, and whoever is generous, in a way, is lending to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him. And it's the same general principle here in the passage. Cast your bread upon the waters of uncertainty and trust that the Lord will repay. It doesn't tell you when the Lord is going to repay, but it's that he will, that it will be returned to you. And again, this is hard for many people to do, especially today in our age, it is hard to do, right? The natural reaction is to save, to keep. But the idea here is to trust in the Lord. The idea here in the passage it seems to say is that to give your portion to seven or eight, or in other words, when you give to others, when you happen to be met by disaster and you find yourself in a position where you need financial resources, those who you have given to before probably might be more inclined to give to you in return because you have been so generous with them before. And yet, I'm getting ahead of myself. There's more to be said with regards to that, but I'll get to that in a moment. But throughout the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about giving. From the very beginning of the book of Genesis, we see this giving, this tithing unto the Lord. And tithing, or giving unto the Lord, is an exercise of trust. And we see many Proverbs 
that talk about the lending or giving. And even continuing into the New Testament, Jesus himself has a lot to say about giving to others. But what Jesus says is not just a general principle, but instead it is a promise. It is a certainty. It is a guarantee. So for example, Jesus says in Matthew 10.42, And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. In other words, Jesus says that if you give to one of his, those who are one of his disciples specifically, that you will by no means lose your reward, that there is a reward for those who give to others in the body of Christ. Luke 14, 12, Jesus says to a man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus is not saying, never have your friends and neighbors over for dinner. Instead, he's speaking to one's intent. If you're always giving to those that you know can pay you back in return, there's no measure, there's no trust in the Lord with that. Not saying that you shouldn't, but the promise here is for those who give to others and don't expect anything in return, especially when you give to those that you know are not able to pay it back. Again, it's a natural reaction to build up wealth to have a measure of security, and yes, there is wisdom in that, but there is also a time and place to try to be generous towards others. And the Bible never tells us that there is a moment when you should not be generous. Yes, it is wise if you have $100 left and you need that to pay your cell phone bill, it is wise to pay your bill instead of giving it away, because the Bible also does tell us to pay to all to what is owed to them, revenue to whom revenue is owed. All right, but if you have the means to do so, then, then do so. If there's an opportunity to do so, then do so. But there is also a category for stretching yourself. We have this example in 1 Corinthians 12 when the church gave to the church in Jerusalem even though they didn't have the financial resources to do so and yet somehow they found a way to pool their resources together and give to the church in need. But the idea here is that it is never a throwaway of financial resources when we give to others. Instead, it is a way of investing in the kingdom of God. And when we consider how much has been given to us, when we consider the great debt of sin that we owed unto God, a debt that we could never pay, a debt that we would spend all of eternity paying, and that Jesus would come into the world and die on the cross and pay the debt of sin that we owe to God for us? I mean, if you ever paid a debt before, whether it's $50, or $100, or $200, and you finally pay it off, you know the freedom that there is. Now you have this extra money that you can put back in your pocket. Right? This is sort of like, this is how the Christian is. They had this debt to pay unto God, and the debt has been totally paid 
by Jesus Christ. And so knowing that we have been so graciously blessed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, how then can we not also be gracious and go on to bless others? In the stock market of the kingdom of heaven, there's only one stock to investing, and that is in God. And in this stock, this stock always produces a return in one's investment. The question is, if you can wait long enough to receive the return in your investment. If you can't wait, then you're not going to give. But if you have patience, if you can wait, the promise is that God will reward and God will bless. If not today in this life, then certainly in eternity. And what an amazing thing it is that God has so graciously given us all things in Christ Jesus in that in addition to that, he would compel us to be in the pursuit of rewards. God doesn't owe us anything. And yet he says that those who generously provide for others will be richly rewarded, not in this life, but certainly in eternal life. God is such a gracious and wonderful God. He does repay. The first principle is to be generous. The second principle is to be faithful. Verse 3 says, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Man has become very knowledgeable and to some degree, even an expert at predicting the weather, though you might disagree with that. But for the most part, man is really good at being able to determine what the weather will be like today, tomorrow, the next day, the following day. Yet as great as man is at predicting the weather, he still cannot control the weather. And the weather is the harsh and fierce weather that causes the trees to fall out in the distance of the wilderness and the forest. Right? We have no control over that either. There are some things that we can be really good about predicting that happen with absolute certainty, but predictions do not always mean certainty. And there are things that we cannot predict and things happen with absolute certainty. Now, considering this on a much smaller scale, your life and my life consists of a combination of predictable events and unpredictable events. There are some things that, given the right knowledge and information, the right conversations we can foresee, we can expect. And there are some things that, despite our best efforts, Despite how much knowledge and information we have, we cannot predict what will happen. So life itself seems to consist of many risks. And if we spend our lives trying to think about the things that we cannot predict, or if we spend our lives thinking about the things, the information that we wish we had, then we might not 
ever do anything. Kind of like the sower that we have here in this word picture in verse 4. Someone who observes the wind will not sow. Right? It's like a farmer who goes out one morning and feels the wind. That feels a little harsh today. I'm going to wait, so I'm going to wait a few hours. I'm going to come, and then I'm going to come back outside. He comes back outside several hours later. The wind has died down. Oh, I can start preparing. I can start to sow. But then he notices a dark cloud in the sky. Hmm, it could rain. Let me wait a few more hours, and I'll, I'll go inside, and I'll come back and see and observe the clouds. Oh, there's one more cloud. But it hasn't rained yet. Well, it might rain. It might not. I'm not sure. I better not take a gamble. I better not risk it. So I'm not going to sow. And so he continues to wait. And before he knows it, the day is gone. He hasn't done anything with his life in that moment, in that day. But you and I both know that if we, if we just keep ourselves thinking about the things that we cannot predict because we don't have all the information and because we don't have all the understanding, we would not do anything at all. Verse 5 continues, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. There's a lot of great benefits that come with technology. One of those being that with technology, we can actually see the picture of a life growing inside the womb of an expecting mother. Praise God for that. But technology also comes with disadvantages. We lose some things with technology. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why people are so fascinated by extraterrestrials and UFOs is because they seem to be so mysterious. Right? Where do they come from? Who are they? What are they here for? What do they do? The thing about technology is that technology and science always tries to explain the unexplainable. And that way, you sort of lose a sense of the wonder of mystery. People are always searching for answers, searching for information. They give themselves to things that are absolutely beyond reason to believe is actually real because people are in search of wonder, of mysteries. And when man cannot explain something that is unexplainable, they disregard it. They discard it like they do with God. We cannot explain God, so therefore God does not exist or cannot exist. But we can never know what the good life is apart from the one who created it. Even though there are things that we cannot know and understand, even though we wish that we had all the information to make the right decisions, even though we wish that we could remove all risks in our lives and all decisions and all our choices and the path that we wish to go, the fact of the matter is that we don't have all the comprehension, all the understanding, all the knowledge. There are some things that we cannot control. As men, we are finite and we are limited and so what we are called to do is just to be faithful. And the person who lives the good life is the person who stewards his responsibilities well and trusts in God for what he or she cannot control or understand. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. 
There are some things that we will never understand and know. There are mysteries embedded with God that God has chosen to keep within himself, things that perhaps would just blow our brains if we were, he were able to dispense that information to us. And in that sense, there is a wonder to God because while we know him through this word, there are some things that we cannot know. And praise God for that, because God himself is incomprehensible. But there are some things that we do know. There are some things that have been given to us in his word. You know more than you think. You have more information that you know more than most people will ever know in their lifetime because you have the divinely inspired word of God. And the Bible tells you all that you need to know concerning God, concerning to Jesus Christ, concerning Jesus Christ, how to have a relationship with Him, how to have your sins forgiven, how to receive eternal life. You know what God demands of you and how to live the good life and how to live a life of joy and purpose and meaning. As we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, we see some of these things. Enjoy the basic things that God has given to you in your life. Enjoy your marriage if God has given to you in marriage, the gift of marriage. If God has given you an assignment or work to do, do it well. Do it to the glory of God. Keep your garments white, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says. In other words, keep walking in the fear of the Lord. Those are the things that God has revealed and many others. They've been revealed to you and they belong to you. Verse 6, it says, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. That's the idea of work, and he's not saying to work 24-7, work day and night. Instead, he's promoting a life constant work harkens back to something we already talked about before a couple weeks ago. God has given to each one of us an assignment, and God calls us to just be faithful in whatever assignment that God has given to you. Do it well. Work hard at it. In other words, uncertainty and unpredictability and lack of knowledge is no excuse for idleness. 1 Corinthians 7.17, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. You and I don't need to have all the information. We don't need to know all the facts. We don't need to be able to predict everything that's going to happen with absolute certainty in order to thrive and flourish as Christians in this world. We just simply need to be faithful. One commentator wrote, The life of faith does not remove the problem of our ignorance. Rather, it will enable us to live with it. Faith flourishes in the mystery of providence and does not abolish it. The good life is the life that is lived with the knowledge of what he or she knows what's been revealed in the Word. That is the good life. It's not focused on the things that it cannot be known, 
it still has a sense of wonder to things that are mysterious to us. But it has lived faithfully according to what God has revealed in His Word. Be generous, be faithful. The passage then transitions to a particular audience. So second, principles for the young. First principle here is to have joy while you can. Which is a principle that is for whatever stage of life you find yourself in. Something that, as a parent, I ask myself, that my wife and I ask myself in our home is, when is it too much? Because it's so easy to busy our schedules with different activities. Uh, there's maybe engaged in sports. Uh, there's church-related events as well. There's, there's schooling as well. There's so many, it's so easy to busy our schedules Sometimes, many times, we've asked ourselves, when is it too much for our children? Because we want our kids to be able to be kids. Right? If you have young kids, then you've heard it before that from others, from those who are older, who have had children and are out of the home, you've heard it said before that, you know, enjoy these young years while you have them because they don't last very long. And in the moment, you're just like, oh, well, they don't seem to be, they seem to be just, just dragging on. But the, I just, each year goes by, I just always think about it, and I think it's just so true. They do. See, at least to me, they seem like they just go by in an instant. My kids are just, another year younger, another year younger. I mean, my, one of my kids is already talking about having a job and working and producing an income. And I'm like, you're, you're six years old. <laughs> Why are you thinking about work? I mean, you have it made. You have it easy. You're served hand and foot. That's not going to happen all your life. At least if you want to do our part and not raise spoiled brats. But we want to let kids be kids. Because we want our children, as a parent you know this as well, you want your children to enjoy their youth while they can. And the preacher here says, enjoy the good days. Enjoy them while you can. Enjoy your youth while you can. And I don't think he means live it hedonistically. I don't think he means give yourself to the life of pleasure. Whatever your eyes desire, go for it. Because he spent some significant real estate in his book, talking about how he gave himself to the pursuit of his pleasures, how he did not withhold anything that his heart desired. And at the end of the day, and if you're here and you have not known yet the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, heed the words of the preacher. He says, I've given myself to the life of pleasure. I've given myself to pursuing the things of the world and came back empty-handed. And ultimately, it did not satisfy. Ultimately, it did not bring any lasting pleasure. Ultimately, it did not give my life any significance or meaning or value. But the meaningful life is only found when it is lived in the fear of God. So he's not, he's not advocating for that kind of life. Throughout the book, the preacher has been speaking to us as a preacher, one who heralds certain truth for us to know, to understand, to embrace. He has 
spoken to us as a teacher who desires to instruct his readers on the ways of living. He's spoken to us as a philosopher, helping us to think deeply about the fundamental questions of life. And he speaks to us here, I think, as a, as a concerned father. Much like the book of Proverbs is written by a wise father intending to impart wisdom to his children. He says, enjoy the good days while you have them. Ecclesiastes is such a strange book because, I mean, it's, it can be so sour. It can be so bitter. But it's like medicine. Like All medicine just tastes gross. There's no medicine that actually tastes good, but you take it because it's good for you even though the taste is awful. And Ecclesiastes, a lot of times, is like that. Like, it's just taking your daily dose of medicine, even though it tastes bitter. But be that as it may, I would consider the book of Ecclesiastes to be a book about how to have joy. He shows us, if you want to have joy, if you want to have true, lasting joy, you're not going to find it in the world. He says, I, trust me, I've been there. I've done that. He says, he says, if you want to have joy, enjoy life with the basic things that God has given to you. Enjoy life as a gift that's been given to you by God. Right? Many people consider the Christian life to be such a boorish life. But it isn't. It just seeks joy and pleasure and satisfaction in the things that God commends and the way that God commends. There's a book that teaches us how to have joy, that is, have joy in the Lord. And when we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we certainly know this joy, the joy that comes with the forgiveness of our sins, the joy that comes from knowing that we have an eternal dwelling being prepared for us in heaven. So he says, if it is in your power to do so, whatever vexes you, whatever you're anxious about, whatever you're worried about, if you can help it, then do something about it because life is brief. If that means having a difficult conversation, if that means having to do something difficult, do it. Do it right away because life is too brief to be full of worry and anxiety and distress. In addition to that, he says, if, you, if there is some kind of physical impediment that prevents you from maximizing joy in the gospel and joy in this life, if you are able to, then do something about it. Take care of yourself. Take care of your body. Take the medicine that tastes sour and bitter. If it will just help you seek more joy out of your life, walking in the fear of the Lord. And he says, again, for the young, Now I'm not going to be so foolish as to put an age range here, because I don't want to offend anybody. Some of you are young and you know it, but you might feel like you are an old person in heart because you have a lot going on between work and raising children. Some of you are older, but you feel young at heart, so apply it however you want. We know that youth, oftentimes, there's a certain thing about youth that comes with, with a passion, with energy, with zeal, with strength. 
that only or tends to decrease as you age and get older. And his, his principle is, if that's you, enjoy your youth while you have it. Not just in any way, but enjoy it to the glory of God. Pray for godly ambitions. Pray for fresh ideas. Now, I get it. If you're young and you have a family, right? it's probably too much to even consider anything else. You're exhausted day in and day out, and that's okay too. God is not going to judge you for not doing more with your life. If all you can manage right now is just to be faithful with the assignment that God has given to you, praise God, be faithful in that, and the Lord is pleased with you and how you're living your life and how you're managing your responsibilities. Some of you might have in your brain sort of this wealth of ideas, things that you want to run with, things that you want to do. Maybe it would be wise to just pick one or two or three things and just focus on those things. And while you have your youth, try things out. Try some things. And the great thing about being a believer The great thing about being joined to a body of believers, to a church, is that you have a wealth of advisors and counselors and wisdom to help you as you consider different things that might be in your mind, and that there is grace, that even if you should pursue something and it doesn't work out or you make some mistakes along the way, that the community of believers is a place that is filled with grace where we are forgiving towards one another and we help pick each other up and continue to encourage one another to pursue the Lord. Ambitions are not a bad thing if they are prayed for and they are godly ambitions. Some of you might be ruminating some really good ideas right now and you haven't done anything with them, pray about those things. Maybe it's time to pursue those things. Some of you might have great ideas that might actually bless other people, might bless your life, might bless the church. Listen, if you come to me with those ideas, I might say, great, that's wonderful. Are you willing to lead it? Because perhaps the reason why you have this idea that God has placed in your heart and God has not given it to else, but it's probably because God wants you to do something with it and not find something else to do something with your idea. While you have the energy of your youth, pray for the wisdom to know how to channel it in such a way to use it for the glory of God. Enjoy your youth while you have it. It doesn't last very long. While you have energy and passion and zeal, ideas, bring them to the Lord. Pray about them. Seek direction. Seek wisdom. Seek guidance. And maybe it won't be the right time to pursue whatever it is you're thinking about. The Lord will make that clear. Use your youth to the glory of God. and At the same time, watch yourself. Because along with youth and the passion and the drive and the zeal and the ambitions that come with youth and the strength and vigor, youth also tends to come with arrogance, 
lack of self-control and discipline, impatience. Hence why he concludes with this one remaining principle, to know that you will be judged. Now, he's not intending to sour your pursuit of joy, but he's cautioning us to pursue our joy carefully. Consider the responsibilities that God has given to you. If pursuing a course of action means sacrificing time with your family and neglecting family or neglecting other responsibilities, then it's probably not the right time to pursue whatever that is that you're wanting to pursue. So as you enjoy your youth to the glory of God, just do it carefully. Know that God will hold each of us accountable for the things that he has assigned to us. And at the same time, we don't have to walk in this trepidation or this gnawing fear because for those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and have their sins forgiven, there's always grace and always mercy at the throne room of God. As a concerned father, God intends to help us to pursue joy in a right manner and in the right things. So as we continue to learn under the tutelage of God's word, we're taught additional principles for wise living, that we should be generous with God's money, be faithful in our assignments, and that the young should rejoice in their youth while maintaining an eye towards God. So in good or bad days, let us make it our ambition to live each and every day to the glory of God and for our own joy, because our own joy, because God is concerned for your joy and mine. He wants you to have joy in your life. And Ecclesiastes teaches us how we can be in the pursuit of joy, but in the right manner. And God is so gracious to us to be able to, to actually tell us how to pursue that joy in a way that does bring joy to the one who lives this kind of life and bring glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are a wonderful and gracious God. You don't call us out of the world to live a, a boorish life a life of dissatisfaction and a life of displeasure and a life that lacks joy, but you call us out of the world in order to help us to have real joy. Lord, we admit that there are times when we want to pursue joy in our own way, in the things that we desire that you forbid, whether because it is sinful or because you have forbidden it for a season, Lord, help us to trust that you know best. Help us to remember that you are a God who cares for us. Help us to remember that you are a God who loves us. And more than anything, you desire for us to have joy, joy in the Lord. 
joy by walking in the fear of the Lord. Lord, help us to not waste our lives, but help us, Lord, to live it with meaning and purpose by looking to the rewards that await us in heaven and by continuing to pursue more rewards in heaven. You don't forbid that kind of pursuit, but you actually encourage it. So help us to be a people who are in the pursuit of more rewards in heaven in order to increase our joy on this earth and to maximize our joy in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.